Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and you'll have to forgive me. I'm a little distracted as we speak. Uh, my NC State Wolfpack are uh, playing a basketball game against the Pitt Panthers, and we're up by uh, three points with eight and a half seconds to go. So this is a game that uh, State honestly should have won by double digits, and instead we're going down to the end and we're sweating it out. But while I'm having a mini panic attack, let me bring on our guest. Maybe he can bring some uh, calmness to the proceedings. And that's uh, Mets 360 writer Dalton Allison. Dalton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to finally get on. Outstanding. Well, the, finally the game is over, state one by four. So all's well that ends well. All right, enough awesome. of basketball. Let's Let's uh, let's move on. Actually, maybe we will talk a little bit more about basketball. In addition to uh, writing for Mets 360, you've also done some broadcasting work. So, Dalton, tell us what type of games you've done. Yeah, sure. So, I'm a um, I'm a freshman at Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey, and there I work at the the student radio station WSOU, and it's an FM station completely run by the students. And we cover all the official Seton Hall athletic teams. So, so far this season, I've covered the soccer team. I've done beat writing and color commentary for them. I've done beat writing and color commentary for volleyball, basketball, both men's and women's. And um, I've done color commentary for women's as, long, as well as play-by-play for women's and color commentary for men's basketball and beat writing for men's basketball. So, And then this Friday, I'm actually – doing my first hockey game. It's not for Seton Hall. It's for the um, NAHL New Jersey Titans. So that'll be a fun one. All right. So I got to ask you, what's your soccer uh, uh, announcing uh, signature for when a goal is scored? Oh, I I haven't even thought of that yet. I'm just on – I'm usually on color commentary on that. So I – I could never be like. So you don't. Uh, you don't get to scream at the never, top of your voice. Goal! <laughs> no. no. I could never be like those guys from Europe. You know those. Those guys are fantastic. Oh, they are off the hook. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's finally get to to talk about the Mets. And and I guess the the big news since uh, the last time uh, we were here on the podcast with the Mets is uh, Jeff Wilk. Wilpon, uh, Mets COO, uh, was talking to the press uh, about payroll, of all things. And I want to know, what's your take on the Mets' unique payroll structure? Yeah, you know, I, I personally, I think the, the Mets' payroll situation is a, a little crazy, you know. I, you'd expect a, a big market team on at, like New York, the Mets, you'd expect them to be able to go out there and just have a lot of money to spend on free agents. You know, you look across town and you look at the Yankees and they're constantly always out there spending money on free agents and they don't care about the luxury tax. And honestly, if you want to bring fans into the stadium, 
you blow past that luxury tax and you sign the player you want because, honestly, you'll probably make back in profit with the the luxury tax is going to cost anyway. And if they usually I, – I believe that us as fans, we should be able to know what the budget is for this team. I don't understand why we shouldn't know why they're not spending their money. I think we should we should be able to hold them accountable and we should want to know why they're not spending money on free agents. I mean, this isn't the, the most beautiful free agent class, but we could have made a splash or two by now. And it, I feel like besides Jay Bruce – and the release picture that we signed, I feel like we're just kind of sitting idly. Well, that's two more free agents than a lot of clubs have signed. So it's been a really slow market, and it's possible that uh, there may be another free agent uh, heading the Mets' way. And, you know, we heard stories that the payroll was going to drop significantly from what it was last year. And, And right now that doesn't quite seem to be true. Maybe it'll be slightly less, but, I mean, I guess my expectation is for it to be in in the same ballpark that it was last year, which which uh, it it may not be ideal, but it's not catastrophic either, at least in in my understanding of things. Yeah, you know, I mean, basically they're probably going to be fielding around, I'd say around the same team, unless something significantly changes from the roster. I feel like they're just going to be running the same team out there with the same payroll. I mean. I don't see anything drastic happening with the payroll. I don't see them going out and spending big on a free agent. But, I mean, I could see them adding a a low-cost piece here and there. One of the things that uh, Jeff Wilpon intimated was that if there was a free agent out there that uh, Sandy Olison wanted to sign, he could make the case for why they should increase the budget to, to add that player. And I guess I want to know from you is if you were Sandy Alderson, is there a free agent out there that would make you go to the Wilpons and, and uh, ask for more payroll? And if so, what would be your pitch? Yeah. You know, a lot of people have talked about Mike Moustakis or like Eric Hosmer in terms of big free agents, but I wouldn't even go that big on free agents. I'm, I'm personally, I'm looking at Tony Watson, the reliever who was on the Dodgers this past season. He, in my opinion, he makes sense for the Mets. You know, he would bring a lot of a lot of consistency out of the bullpen. He would, he's pitched 70 innings the past four or five seasons, each season. So you know what you're going to get from him. He's always around that 3.20 to 3.40 ERA. So you know he's going to be good. He's a lefty, so you can have another lefty to complement Jerry Blevins, and you don't have to work him as much. And he also, if the Mets are thinking playoffs this season. He has playoff experience. He went to the World Series with the Dodgers this past season, and when he was with the Pirates, he pitched in those two in those two consecutive wild card games that the the Pirates played in. So, I don't conceivably see a reason why they wouldn't want Tony Watson. You know, he's he's not exactly in the upper echelon of release pitchers, but you know, if you sign him, he's a he's a solid guy out of the pen. The best thing if the Mets were to sign Tony Watson would be that it means they wouldn't have to carry Josh Smoker to be the second lefty in the bullpen. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what kind of a, a contract that Watson would be, be looking for, but I don't think if you were to make that uh, pitch to uh, the Wilpons, I don't think they'd actually have to break too many piggy banks in order to be able to afford whatever contract that they give them out. But, I'm I'm guessing that if they do make a, a significant move in free agency, that they're much more likely to target an infielder than they are another relief pitcher. Yeah, you know they they signed the one the one relief pitcher so far this off season, and I think that was a good move. You know, 
really, when it comes down to bullpen, you're looking at depth. It comes down to it. Guys get hurt. Guys get overworked. And guys get tired. And you never know when someone's someone's going to get a blood clot like Therese Familia did. And you just you just never know when players are going to break down. So I think that was a good move. But I, if the Mets probably made another signing this offseason, it would probably be to add some infield insurance, you know. The reliever that you referenced, of course, was Anthony Swarzak, who had a fantastic 2017 season but doesn't have a, just an extensive track record. You were talking about Tony Watson and how many years he's thrown 70 innings pitched at a good rate, and that's something that Swarzak doesn't have. So it remains to be seen if he'll be able to duplicate his fine season last year. But up until this point, we've been talking about uh, free agents, and, and I guess uh, there's other ways to get uh, players, and the first one that jumps to mind is the trade market. And I want to know, do you see more openings available for the Mets in, in the trade market than you do in free agency? I mean, through free agency, free agency is a, is a tough route to go, especially this offseason. You know, you see a lot of teams just, like, saving their saving their money probably for next year's big, the, all the big key players in next offseason. But right now I think – the Mets should have an opportunity to kind of take advantage of the fire sale that is the Miami Marlins. You know, there, there's all these pieces out there that the Marlins are kind of just they're they're throwing away. And I, I personally, I don't. If I were the Mets, I think the Mets are in better position to blow up than the the Miami Marlins are. I mean, you look at the core that the Marlins have. They they had Ozuna, they had Christian Yelich, and they had JT Realmuto, and of course Giancarlo Stanton. You know, they had one of the best young outfields in Major League Baseball. And Derek Jeter went in there and just wanted to blow it up. So I, if I'm the Mets, I try to take advantage of that. I mean, I heard that the the price, the asking price for Real Muto and Yelich, they were through the roof, and that's understandable because those are two very good players. They'll, they're both impact players. They're going to make your team better. But if I'm the Mets, I try to go down there and I try to get Starling Castro. What this team needs right now is they just need a consistent hitter for the for the beginning of the lineup, middle of the lineup, because. You see, they they have sluggers, they have on base percentage guys, but they don't have guys who consistently hit at a 300 average. And I think that's what Starlin Castro would bring to this team. Right uh, after they acquired Starlin Castro, there was some rumors that uh, perhaps the Mets would be interested in trading for him, but I think that they kind of squashed that early, and I don't know if they've they've circled back and revisited that idea or not. Uh, I, I guess we've heard a lot more about Josh Harrison as a potential trade target for the infield than we have for Castro, and the Mets and Pirates couldn't quite agree on on what the the proper value would be for Harrison. And as you mentioned, the the Marlins seem to be asking a lot for the players that they have left. You know, they came into the off season looking to cut payroll, and they've they've done a tremendous job of that. And so they probably don't have quite the urgency to to make trades that they had earlier in 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 the off season. So, uh, me personally, I think that uh, free agency is the way to go, and I expect that uh, we'll see Todd Frazier or maybe somebody like that joining the Mets before uh, spring training starts here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, and Todd Frazier wouldn't surprise me. You know, he seems like he wants to stay in New York, even though not necessarily with the Yankees. But it would be interesting to have Frazier on the team. He would definitely bring a power bat to the Mets, and you know they have to put someone at third base. I Personally, I'm not a fan of his Drupal career at third base, but if he, he has to hold it down, he'll hold it down. But you, at this point, you'd think Moustakas is just too much money. 
especially he's going to want a long-term deal. The Mets are not about that right now. They already have that long-term deal with David Wright. And I don't think Tom Todd Frazier would really command that long-term of a deal. I don't know what he's looking for, but Todd Frazier might be the, the best fit for the Mets right now if they're looking to get through free agency. Well, let's shift gears here a little bit and uh, I guess talk about uh, something that, that maybe isn't the uh, the nicest thing, but the fan base. And, and it seems like there's a lot of negativity around the, the fan base, and I guess there always is, but it seemed like it was even worse this off season than it had been previously. And I want to know, do you feel that? Do you feel that same thing that I do about the negativity about the Mets fan base? And if so, do you think that'll change once the spring the spring training games start? Well, there's there's definite discontent with the Will Ponds right now throughout the Mets fan base. I mean, at the station we always talk about the Mets, and there's people talking that since. Um, Jeffrey Loria sold the Marlins. The Wilpons are the the worst owners in Major League Baseball, and you know I don't I don't blame them for wanting to say that because they it seems like they just are constantly content, and that their expectations are just flat out boring for this team. They it seems like the Wilpons are content with just kind of floating in mediocrity where they were, and the Mets weren't mediocre last year. They were just bad because of the injuries that they suffered. And it seems like the Wilpons this offseason, they're really not, they're kind of banking on the starters being healthy this next coming season. They're not preparing for what if they're not healthy. And that's kind of concerning for a team that's really, that gets hurt so often. So within the fame, within the fan base, I don't think that they're impressed. When spring training rolls around, I think there's always that kind of happiness that baseball's back. I mean, I love when baseball's back. I I miss baseball about a week after the World Series ends, you know. Baseball's one of those things where it's like it's there in the summertime, you're just happy to have it, especially when your team is competitive. But once spring training rolls around, it's going to be interesting to see how people feel about the World Ponds. Uh, personally, I'm, it's not going to prevent me from watching the Mets that I'm unhappy with the ownership. I mean, I love the, the team. I don't necessarily love the owners, but I'll be happy once spring training rolls around. To me, one of the things that we have going on is that once spring training starts, the players are available and the media can talk to the players about the players and what the players' goals are. And during the off season, for the most part, we don't have that. The players have all scattered. They're not available to the press on a, on a regular basis. So they have to go elsewhere for their stories. So, and unfortunately, that's been, uh, uh, it seems an awful lot about uh, how cheap the owners are. So me personally, I'm hoping that once the players show up, we can start talking about the players and, and put the focus back on the field where I think we'd all be more grateful to see it. Yeah, you know, I I mean the the media they kind of just they have to find they have to find stories to try to write and really when the players are all over whether they're training in another country or even in another state they're just hard to reach and we know the Wilpons are going to be in their office so they kind of just I don't want to say that they create their own stories but it's 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 hard for the media to especially Mets beat writers just come with constant content on the team when the players are just not present so kind of hope that speculation stories start to end once spring training rolls around and that having the actual players there, it's, it'll be nice to hear from them. We can start hearing about so-and-so is in the best shape of his life. 
So, you know, yeah. we, can, we can look forward to some positive stories. Well, um, speaking of positive, or, or maybe it's not positive, I guess, depending upon the way you look at it, but I want to know from you, which player on the Mets do you think should have a bigger role uh, here in 2018 than he's likely to have? Who are you bullish on that, that maybe uh, the, the Mets brass is maybe not quite in the, the so optimistic about? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Brandon Nimmo. I'm the, the Wyoming baseball legend you know this guy he's happy to play the game whenever he gets the opportunity to I've never seen him not hustle for the ball he's he gets on base and towards the end of the season the Mets kind of put him to the test and he didn't fail they they were impressed with what they saw from him and now they're talking about trading him and I mean I could see it because the outfield is going to be crowded now that they signed Jay Bruce it's going to be Bruce Cespedes and Conforto when he gets back so we're going to see Nimmo, I think, early in the season a lot. And it's he's, his appearances are going to be scarce after that, sadly, because, I mean, I any day I'd take Conforto over Nimmo in the outfield, but you just kind of hope that his uh, his hustle and his, his positivity towards the game, you know, that guy's always, he always has a big smile on his face whenever he, he makes a great play, and you just love to see that. That kind of... That's that was kind of the spirit that you should have when you're playing little league and even up through high school and it's it's so rare nowadays that you see people that much joy out of just playing baseball. So I'm from a fan standpoint, I hope Brandon Nimmo gets more playing time and I think he deserves more playing time, but I just I don't think that he's going to see it in the crowded outfield. You mentioned last year and Nimmo's uh, penchant for getting on base. And that was certainly something that I hoped we got to see more of in in 2018. But unfortunately, I agree with you. It's kind of hard to see how he's going to carve out a big role for himself uh, unless two other outfielders end up getting hurt. And I guess with the Mets, we can't rule that out completely. All right, well, uh, speaking of injuries, the the Mets uh, officially announced Jim Cavallini as their new Director of Performance and Sports Science. And uh, I guess uh, I want to know from you, do you you think this will help the Mets have fewer fewer injuries in 2018? Well, I kind of, once I read the name, I kind of looked into this guy, and he has a lot of great credentials. You know, he worked at um, at Fort Bragg. He, He was all about the rehabilitation down there, he really helped. He was the coach to get these these soldiers back back into a, I don't want to say fighting condition, but back up to army standards. So I think this guy is going to be great for the team. I don't want to necessarily say that he's going to prevent injuries because he can't. I don't think if if someone's running and they pull their hamstring, I don't think there's anything he can do to prevent that. But what I think he's going to help with this team, I think he's going to prevent reoccurring injuries. You know, I I'm tired of hearing that. Cespedes, oh, he's great, but his hamstring is always bothering him, you know? And I just, it just frustrated me when you see a, a player like Yohannes Cespedes are paying him so much money, and he can't even hydrate himself properly. So, I, with this guy Cavallini, I, I think he's going to be a great proponent for getting players through rehab and getting them back to playing condition faster than ever, and then having them prevent reoccurring injuries because that's really what kills the Mets is the reoccurring injuries. You know, players, they get hurt and then they rush to get back out there. I'd rather them take their time rehabbing and get them back on the field in better condition than they were when they got injured, if not the same condition. So I I think he's going to not necessarily prevent injuries, but he'll prevent 
the injuries from reoccurring? Uh, during the last season, the Mets streamlined the way they reported internally injuries, which I think was definitely a, a needed first step. And this off season, I think we've seen a couple of more steps in, in the right direction. And one, they got rid of the angel of death, Ray Ramirez, as their head trainer. And then they also brought in Cavallini. Uh, you mentioned his military background. I'm sure that's something that appealed to Sandy Alderson, the uh, former Marine. So uh, perhaps some discipline in, in the way that they, they deal with injuries is, is just what the doctor ordered. So I'm, I'm excited uh, about uh, this new direction that the Mets are taking. You know, they're obviously taking this very seriously, and, and perhaps we'll see it uh, translate onto the field, uh, results on the field, if you will. Yeah, and, you know, it's not something that should be taken lightly. You look at these players, and they're kind of like the team's invest, investments, and they weren't treating their investments properly under Ray Ramirez. They simply weren't. I don't know how you could look at your best young pitcher and tell him it's up to him if he wants to take an MRI, you know. If if that was me in there, I'd be telling him that he has to take that MRI. I don't see why you wouldn't make him take it. I mean, I know you tell the player to trust their body, but Noah Syndergaard is not a doctor, and I don't think he's ever going to be. Noah Syndergaard throws fastballs for a living. So I – I'm happy that they have a guy who's going to kind of reinforce health on the team. I think he's going to be really good for them. All right. Well, we've reached the point in the show where we give uh, crazy predictions. I'll give you mine. Uh, I'll ask you to comment on mine, see if you think it's crazy or not. And then I'll ask me to give me your crazy prediction. Okay. Mm, Yeah. All right, so my crazy prediction ties into our our last uh, topic, and I think that uh, with their new director of performance and sports science, that the Mets are going to completely turn things around, and they're going to be in the top five as far as fewest days lost to to the DL for injuries. So tell me, is that crazy or not? You know, I don't know if they're going to be in the top five, but I think we're going to see a significant improvement from the injuries that they suffered last season. Because last season, it just seemed like once a week they were losing a player for a month or just for an extended amount of time, and I was I was just getting tired of it, you know. And the Mets, they're a completely different team when they're not injured, you know. You're looking at a team as Joanna Cespedes and Jay Bruce. That's potentially 200 RBIs and two players right there. And then you see Michael Conforto, who injured himself swinging a bat, a guy that he could easily be a 310 hitter, hit 25 home runs, produce just as many RBIs as Yohannes Cespedes. It's This team has so much potential. They have a great core, especially around their starting pitching, but the injuries just absolutely tore them apart last season. So I think I could see a complete turnaround for them, especially if they're healthy. I mean, the, the rotation – when healthy is dynamic. They're one of the best in the league. And going into the preseason last last season, they were ranked um, top three, a top three rotation in baseball, and they are when they're healthy. You know, I don't I don't remember seeing a season where Steven Matz didn't miss an extended amount of time. I'd love to see what Steven Matz can do under a full season. All right, well, I'm going to say that uh, you don't think uh, my prediction is crazy, which is okay, I guess. So show me what a crazy prediction is. Give me yours. Well, well, my my crazy prediction kind of ties into yours, actually. I'm going to predict that Noah Syndergaard is going to win the NL Cy Young and the uh, 
the comeback player of the year. Last year, he was extremely limited due to his injuries, and he wasn't pitching at his best. He got back for one one inning, a one inning start, and I think it was uh, it was either September or October. But I think he's going to go out this season, and he's just going to lead it up. I'm you love I love the way he handles himself. I think he's he's trying to take New, the Mets back as New York's team, and that's going to be hard now because the Yankees have that young core of the sluggers now and all the talent that they have. But I think Noah Syndergaard this year is going to become an enigmatic figure in New York baseball. And I think he's going to go out there. I think he's going to pitch better than Kershaw. He's going to pitch better than Zach Greinke. And I think that he's going to go out there. He's going to win the NL Cy Young, and he's going to win the Comeback Player of the Year. I could see him winning 20 games this season. Well, I certainly think that uh, Comeback uh, Player of the Year is is certainly within his grasp. Uh, It's not far-fetched to think that uh, he would win um, Cy Young Award. But I have to say that that's at least – at least a little bit crazy uh, just because the competition, and you mentioned a couple of the names, Kershaw, of course, being the, the guy that you would always put there up there in the conversation. But perhaps I, I want to reserve judgment on the, the craziness of your prediction until we see what Syndergaard is like in spring training. You mentioned that we got to see him at the end of, the, of last year. He made two very brief appearances down the stretch. Um, looked good for what it was worth in those two uh, appearances, but let's see what this new workout regimen that he's undergone, uh, let's see how that is. I mean, last year he he looked uh, more like a bodybuilder than a professional baseball player, and you've you've got to have some flexibility in you. So hopefully this offseason he's really worked on his flexibility and we won't have a repeat of that lat injury problems that we had last year. Yeah, you know, that's that's a problem when players are training to be bodybuilders and not the, the position that they're meant to be playing. It's great, you know, when you walk out there and you're all you're all buff and you got all the muscles popping, but how's it really gonna help your pitching performance? I'd rather see a guy working on his, his fastball than working on his biceps if if I'm the team team owner. So, you know, you hope Syndergaard kinda tailored his training. I know he he's taken some work his listing regimen or whatever, but see what he's going to be like when he's training as a pitcher and not a bodybuilder, as you said. We've been talking a lot about the Mets, and, and I'd like to, to pull back and, and maybe look at more of uh, Major League Baseball. And, and one of the key things that's going on now is the discussion about the pace of play rules. And um, in, in a weird way, the owners, after announcing what they'd like to do last year, now have the capability to unilaterally enforce that and change the rules as long as it's what they proposed last year. And, and what are your thoughts on the, the owner's uh, pace of play proposals? You know, it's, it's kind of weird because you don't, you don't want people to tamper with the game too much. But then again, you you don't want the young audience to be disinterested from the game. So it's it's you lose it. You're gonna lose either way you go. I think this is a lose lose battle here because you can either tamper with the game to get more fans involved, or you can keep the game as it is and kind of let your current fan base die off. I mean, and I, I'm I'm a young guy. I'm 19 years old. But I mean, I love the game as it is right now. But my my nephew is not my nephew's not capable of sitting through a three hour baseball game. That's just not how it is. So 
as much as it kind of hurts to see the game has to evolve and to keep up with the, the bigger leagues now, you know, the NBA, that's a, a, a fast-paced, action-packed league where people are flying around and dunking the ball. And you see baseball where you have to you have to wait around a little bit, and then you see a Giancarlo Stan smack a 500-foot home run. But I I don't necessarily agree with it, but if it's good for the game, then I'd, I'd give it a thumbs-up for an approval. I like your description of this as being a, a lose-lose situation, and I, and I think that's pretty close to being the truth. Um, personally, I've been hearing this talk about losing the younger fans for a couple of decades now, and I think that if this was really going to be a problem, we would have seen it uh, manifest itself in, in some way. In, instead, we look around the league and we see that attendance is up, and we look around the league and we see that TV ratings are up, and MLB, uh, MLBAM is making money hand over fist. So I, I think that uh, there's a lot of complaining really for no reason, uh, I, I'd like the game to find its own equilibrium and and address the changes of pace um, by itself without any outside inter- interference. And I'm I'm a tiny bit worried about um, putting a, a pitch clock into it and how that will affect the balance of things. But you know I'm I'm gonna approach it with an open mind. So I, I think that's the best that I can do in in this, as you called it, a lose lose situation. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like the only way to go about it now. You know, they're trying to modernize the game, I guess, and it, it's it's hard to see, but it's like they're they're trying to with the, the pitch clock. It's it's very reminiscent of a shot clock in basketball. And basketball, I think, right now is the most popular sport in America, especially amongst viewers. So I they're they're just trying to tailor it to other sports right now. I think. Well, speaking of pitch clocks, we've kind of run into our own where our time is up. I'd like to thank uh, Dalton for joining us tonight. And, Dalton, I I hope you had fun. I hope you'll consider being a guest in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate taking time to come on, and it was a lot of fun. Outstanding. Well, please tune in again next Wednesday night at 11 o'clock Eastern time where we'll be joined by uh, Steve Treader and – Steve Treader is a, um, a Major League Baseball historian, and he works for writes for the Hardball Times. And we're going to talk a little bit about the, the the deep history of the Mets with Steve next week. Well, thanks for listening tonight, and uh, I hope you'll join us again next week. Good night and goodbye.